When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I have brought Jeff Goins back soon on the heels of his last appearance to talk about his brand new book, Real Artists Don't Starve. Except this time, we're not going to talk about the book specifically. We're going to talk about where we left off from after our last conversation. Something specific to those of us who create, those of us who are artists, but also want to monetize and not starve. It's this balance between having the time to create and having the time to build a business or monetize our art. So I asked Jeff to come back and talk about, in essence, his origin story as an artist, as well as his path moving forward from, as well as his path learning how to balance creating his art as well as building his courses and doing his writing, having two newborns in that process and tough decisions that he's had to struggle with and make in order to decide which race was really worth running. I think you're really going to enjoy. Well, this week, it is my privilege to once again, for the fifth time, welcome back Jeff Goins to the show. Welcome, Jeff. Oh my gosh. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Eric. I uh, I love breaking world records with you. Yeah. So you're number five. <laughs> and I know, right? Like, because that's because that's the most important thing in the world right now is just knowing that you've appeared on a certain podcast more often than anybody else. Yeah. Well, I mean, it matters to me. Well, it matters when you compare yourselves to other people <laughs> and all that. So, yeah, no, but in a, in a week or so, uh, Michael Hyatt will be back on and then tie you for fifth. But at least, you know, you'll be tied with a great person. So... Well, you know, I mean, there's something to be said about being first versus being second. There you go. Actually, first, <laughs> first to five. I'm gonna like put that little badge on my website. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like a uh, like a check mark with a little like gold, like a, a gold, uh, you know, a first, a first medal from the Olympics, like hanging off the end of it. And I wanted to have you back really soon after the last time because I okay. realized that basically every time you come on, you're pushing a book. And not in a bad way, because it's always a good book, but there was more to go on this time conversation-wise than I knew we could cover in the last episode. And in fact, talking about competition is really a good segue into it, because last time we talked about your your book, Real Artists Don't Starve, and how that's a myth, they can make a living. Mm -hmm. But there's this thing about artists where, especially in the online space these days, artists can get sidetracked from doing art because of the building of their business. And I know you have firsthand experience with this and yeah. the competition and, and not even, I mean, let, let's face it, you are a competitive guy. However, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily competition that drives this, though it is a factor. It's honestly sometimes just 
guidance that people give to you. Trusted advisors say, no, you have to build your business. So yeah, my, my question to you is, is would you be willing to tell the story about how you had to downsize slash right size your business? Absolutely. This is uh, really fun for me to talk about because it kind of saved me from a lot of things. And I'm somebody who uh, has never really cared that much about money. And uh, I, I sort of had like I had to figure out how to have a creative business in a way where I didn't go broke. And, and at the same time, like I didn't become a, a slave to this machine. And, and I have danced on both ends of that spectrum. But uh, yeah, so I started the business in 2011. Uh, basically, I think I opened up a, a business bank account and, and like went to the city of Franklin and the county and, and applied for a business license for a sole proprietorship. And I was, and I think I did that when I got paid like a hundred dollars to like run an ad or something on my website. I just started blogging at the end of 2010. And 2011 was when I really went all in on it. I wrote a blog post a day for a year, and by the end of it, I realized that um, I could maybe be making some money off of this and and had just kind of started to, to do that. I remember meeting Michael Hyatt uh, around that time and we met for coffee, maybe like the second or third time we had, we had met in person. And I remember like we were walking out of Starbucks and he was like walking home and I was walking to my car and we were talking about monetizing your blog and, you know, he, he mentioned something like, you know, I make $10,000 a month off of my blog. Like he was encouraging me to really go for this. And I was like, wow, that's possible. That's interesting. And he, had, he was like just getting started and I was amazed by it. And so, you know, I, I mean, I, I won't go into the, that whole story. We probably have talked about this at some point, but I kind of just fell into this business that I have. And, it, and so I, I had that idea in 2011 and I started figuring out how to monetize it. I met a woman named Carrie Wilkerson at a conference and asked her how I could monetize my blog. I thought there was like a switch or something that you you, you switch in, <laughs> yeah. in WordPress. And I was like, where's that switch? And she said, well, you just have to like survey your your list and, and ask people what they want. And she's like, how many emails do you have? I was like, I have about 10,000. She's like, oh, you've got a six-figure business. And I was like, uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think it's quite doing that. I think I made a hundred bucks. So what is that, like a three-figure business? And so, but but she was right. And so in December of 2011, I emailed my list and asked people what they wanted. A thousand people responded and said, you know, basically we want an ebook about blogging. And then 2012, as, as you know, was kind of a big year for me where we had a baby. Um, I, I published two books, one self-published book called You Are a Writer, and then a traditionally published book called Wrecked. And, um, and then I launched uh, a course called Tribe Writers, and I didn't intend to do any of this stuff, but first of all, getting ready to have a baby, I was like, oh, I have this thing that people told me I could make money off of, so I'm going to find a way to make money off of it. I did the survey. I launched the ebook. Our son came. I finished my traditional book. I started working on a, an online course in the evenings because people would email me and ask for help with blogging and writing, and it just seemed like a course was a really good solution to that problem that people were having. And so late at night, I'd stay up and be creating this course while my son was uh, sleeping in his nursery. And by the end of 2012, 
we'd made um, more money than we ever thought we would would make. We made about one hundred and forty, hundred fifty thousand dollars off of this business that I like just sort of fell into. And so that was the start of everything. And I just share that to like very clearly communicate. I have, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really have any sort of business pedigree. I was a marketing director at a nonprofit uh, Christian ministry and I was support raising. I was fundraising my salary. And so we had this big year by the end of the year, my wife was no longer going back to work after her maternity leave because we had replaced her income. And I was making plans to quit my job so that I could go full time with this writing business. So that was the beginning in 2012. Fast forward three, four years, and I had scaled the business to a million dollars a year in sales, which I thought was like the holy grail. And it was the most stressful thing I uh, had ever done. And uh, there was a point where I was making uh, a lot of money every month and spending most of it just to keep feeding this beast, which, as you mentioned, Eric, is something that people tell you. You've got to grow your business. And typically what that translates to is you've got to get more sales. And and there was this – like everybody was talking about scaling, and I was in these masterminds and online business communities and everybody was talking about scaling more, 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 more. And the reality is I got into this business because it was an opportunity for me to make some money. I mean, to be frank, it was an opportunity for me to have some financial freedom and also to do something that I really enjoyed, which was writing, helping people, you know, and having more freedom. And in, at the end of 2015, I was very stressed and frustrated and I was writing very little. And, and I had gotten to this point where I had outsourced everything that I enjoyed doing, i.e. writing, coming up with ideas, even, you know, marketing and stuff like that. And I had sort of given myself a, you know, new position. I, I'd given myself a, a promotion to CEO and manager. And I was, and I was, and I'd given away all the things that I enjoyed and I'd taken on all the things that I didn't enjoy, mostly management. And I was like, I have got to get out of this, uh, uh, you know, out of this place. And so that's how it began. Ultimately, what you were doing was something that was just very organic. You fell into it. It was basically you followed a subconscious or unwritten blueprint out there uh, by what you saw others in the field or in similar fields just doing. And and I want to paint that picture of you fell into it in a good way at the beginning, but then without having clear intention of what it is you wanted to do or how you were going to go about doing it, or even what the right amount of money or success, et cetera, is for you, that's right. where things started to fall off the rails. Yeah. So uh, it, just to be totally transparent, you know, year one was 2012, made about $150,000 really in the last six months of the year with the books and, and the courses and, and all that. And um, I was making about $30,000 a year at my nonprofit job. So this was like a big uh, leap for me. And, and and so like all of a sudden we had a lot of savings and we're not – we're pretty thrifty people. And so we didn't like go buy a Lexus or something. You know, We just were like, all right, cool. We started doubling our mortgage payments, trying to pay off our house and, and be wise with this. I think mm -hmm. eventually we bought like a, a minivan. And then uh, 2013 uh, did like almost $300,000 in sales. Two, uh, 2014 did about half a million, uh, I think uh, between five and 600,000. And then 
And 2015, I was like, this is the year that I go big. I've got to make a million dollars. I've got to launch a best-selling book. i got to do all these things. And it was really ego. You know, and I look back on it, it was ego kind of carrying me through it. At the time, it just felt like ambition. And I think, I, as you said, there's sort of this unconscious rule that I have to, like, achieve X. And I think what it was was not, like, I wasn't just doing what people said I should do or doing what I saw other people doing. I was trying to do what I perceived other people were doing. And I think that's an important distinction because oh, yeah. now that I look look back and I talk to people, I realize people who have quote unquote big businesses, you, you know, uh, seven figure, eight figure businesses um, are not necessarily – uh, doing what we what we think they're doing. And there's lots of research, it turns out, to support this. And everybody talks about, I've got a seven-figure business. That means you've got like $1.1 million business. I mean, it's just, it makes it sound yeah. bigger than it is. Like, if you've got a $1 million business, say it's $1 million, $2 million, $3 million, whatever. But yeah, I, I, uh, I didn't realize this until later. But I saw people with what I perceive to be large businesses, and now in retrospect in the world of business, I realize, you know, a seven or even eight-figure business is a small business. I mean, the definition of small business is $25 million or less. That's the that's the definition uh, in America, is, is a small business is $25 million or less. And, and and so that like, it's it's not Apple, it's not Google. And yet everybody that I was talking to who, who was an entrepreneur, you know, they're reading, they're reading case studies about Apple, Google, Amazon. And it's just, if you're running this online business, teaching people something that you know, I don't think it's the same. And I don't think it needs to be the same. So I had this very big ego-driven idea that I've got to be bigger because here's what I perceive my friends and mentors and heroes doing. And it was unchecked and I had no experience. And I did reach that million-dollar mark at the end of 2015. And I wrote a blog post about this. I did, I did launch a best-selling book. I did make a million dollars and I did all these things that I thought I would do and it wasn't what I expected. You know, I, the blog post is called, um, I got everything that I wanted and it wasn't what I thought it was and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't amazing. And I was sort of just going, huh, what should I do with this? And so 2016 was the year of figuring out what to do with this and it began in the like end of the first quarter. I met with a business coach, a guy named Casey Graham, uh, who uh, used to run a company called The Rocket Company and, and sold that. And um, just a friend of mine, somebody that I'd grown to trust. I, I knew that he knew about business, but I also trusted his heart and his values. And I knew that he would kind of guide me into the right direction. And he said, you know, well, what do you want to do? And we met for a day, I, I hired him to basically meet with me uh, and a, a member of my team, and 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 kind of chart out this plan to get me out of the business. Because I said, "Look, here's the deal. Like in 2015, I outsourced even my writing, and I had a ghostwriter, and and I wasn't creating my own content, and I just felt like a phony. I felt like a fake. And uh, I ended up going on a retreat at the end of that year, and I read this book by Parker Palmer called The Hidden Wholeness, where he said." In the book, he said, it is better to be whole than it is to be good. And it's a book about integrity and just uh, the importance of being who you truly are and doing the things that you say you're going to do. And 
and just being true to yourself is really what it's about. And and he talks about in life we have you know there's the soul in the role. The soul is who we really are, and the role is is sort of the expectations of other people. And he says if we're not careful, our soul and our role can get disintegrated. And when that happens, you are literally falling apart. When I read those words, I thought, this is how I feel. So going into 2016, I was like, I've got to fix this. And so Casey said, well, you can either scale up and get it to a point where the business is is running on systems and you're the owner and you bring somebody else in to essentially run the company, uh, or you scale back and you just go back to the days of making, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars and it being fun and you, you know, have a, a couple of contractors working for you, but you basically get to keep most of the money that you make. And he drew an analogy from a book called Predictable Success by an author named Les McEwen. And in Predictable Success, Les McEwen talks about the different stages of business. The second, I think the second stage is called fun, but it's basically the, like it was where I immediately went to, you know, making $150,000 going, wow, this is really fun. Even after I pay my taxes and expenses, like this is more money than I've ever made in my life. This is really cool. I can't believe I get to do this. And then the next year, it was more of that. The year after that, it started to get a little bit harder. And then, you know, the following year, it was stressful. And I was making all this money and I was spending all this money. And, and there was a point where I would, where I had to make between seventy and $80,000 every month just to pay my bills, just to pay my expenses on the business, mostly uh, staff and, you know, uh, marketing expenses and things like that. And it like, I, you know, I'm, I come from a lower middle class background, you know, Midwestern salt of the earth kind of, kind of deal. I'd never made a salary of more than $40,000 in my life. And I was like, I can't, like, this is stupid. I can't believe <laughs> I have to spend $70,000 a month, but like, I have to do that. I have to make $70,000 before I get to pay myself, you know, like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, it was really stressful. And I had like three months where I'd lost money in the business. And I was just like, this is dumb. I don't know what I'm doing. I need to get out of here. And so Casey said, you can go back to fun or you can scale up to what's called predictable success. But where you are right now is what's called whitewater. And I love that analogy because in whitewater, you're moving very fast. It can be very exciting, but one wrong move and you're dead. You're going to hit a rock. You're going to crash on a rock. He said, this is like the irony is most business owners, this is where they think they want to get to, you know, a million dollars, two million dollars, because that because now you're legit and it is the most dangerous place for a business to be. You either need to scale up to, you know, three to five million dollars. Again, it depends on your industry uh, or you need to scale back to like a half a million dollar business and just stay in fun and, and be content with not having more because, you know, your business is basically an, an ATM. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com 
indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And and the really hard part that I've learned about growing a business is there are these, you know, certain plateaus where you're making a lot more money and you're spending a lot more money. Your ex- your expenses have exponentially increased with your revenue. And and that's where I was, you know, I was making a million dollars, spending 900,000 feeling like a dummy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I could go back and make $150,000 and keep more money this way. Like what am I doing? And so he painted these two pictures. I said, "Okay, I can't go back because that's what losers do, you know, like that would be settling. I'm, I'm, I'm competitive. You mentioned that yeah. earlier. So I've got to win. I've got to scale up. And so we mapped out an additional $600,000 in salaries uh, That and we mapped out this like 18 month plan. And he says, okay, your life's going to suck for the next 18 months. You're going to have to work harder than you've ever worked before. You have to graduate to CEO. You've got to hire these different division leaders. You've got to create divisions in your organization. You've got to get a marketing director and a customer service manager and an administrator. And you've got to get these different department heads. And then you've got to become the CEO and you've got to run these divisions. And then eventually you'll hire a president, uh, you know, basically somebody to, or an operation, like an, op, like a, a, um, a COO, somebody yes. to, to manage everybody. And then you'll be the owner and you'll be the vision caster and, and they'll run the company for you. I was like, that sounds great. He said, but for the next 18 months, it's going to be hard. So we, we started down that, that journey. And, um, I learned a lot of things through the process so my question here, though, is, is did he say anything about you getting to be able to get back into you doing your art? Right. Yes. And he was very clear. He says, I will go wherever you want to go, but you have to decide where you want to go. And we understood very clearly because 2015 was sort of the year of, I don't know what I want. Do I want to be a business owner? Do I want to be a writer? You know, because both were sort of tugging on me. And I went on this retreat in December in Breckenridge, Colorado. And all my friends, I went with some friends, and they all went skiing, and I stayed in this cabin for three days just journaling while they were out skiing all day and just journaling, praying, going for walks, reading this book, A Hidden Wholeness, great book, and just trying to decide, like, what do I want? Who am I really? I've been playing this role. This is something that people expect of me. It's been a good thing financially. So, you know, what do I really want to do? And I wasn't miserable. I wasn't unhappy, but I knew that something was missing. And I came to the end of that retreat going, if I have to decide between being a great writer and being a great entrepreneur, like if, if, if when I die, you write writer or entrepreneur on my headstone and you have to pick a word, I'm going to pick writer every day of the week. Mm. And so that was an important revelation for me. The art, the writing is more important than the business. Now I like business, I'm decent at it. I see opportunities that other people don't see. I like having a business. I've learned to enjoy running a business. But uh, for me, the, the, the business fuels the art and uh, makes it possible. And, um, and, I, and I, I had to sort of sort, sort out the priorities because they were both kind of equally important. And I would say in 2015, you know, there's a point where I wasn't writing anymore. And I was really sort of frustrated and confused. And I was talking to my friend, Tim Grawl, about this. And I was like, what should I do? He's like, well, you've got to figure that out yourself. I'm like, no, tell me. He's like, all I'm going to say is I think it's really interesting that you started a business because you wanted to be a writer. And that's true. I started 
teaching online courses, helping writers because I was like, well, I'm not going to make any money off of my writing. This was my belief at the time. It turns out it, it's not true. I'm, I am making uh, a full-time living off of my writing and the business is, you know, basically another form of income. So it's, it's a good life. But I started going, I can't make any money off of my writing. So I'll have to write books and then supplement that with like teaching online courses and, and serving this, this audience of writers that I have. And he said, I think it's really interesting that you started the business to become a writer. And, and you know, you started a business so that you could write and now you're not writing anymore. And I was like, oh, crap. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's I mean, and it's actually kind of a common trap. Like I'm going to do this so that I can do that. And, and you get stuck where the, um, uh, you know, the, you, you think the end justifies the means, but you never get to the end. You're stuck in the means. And, and, and that's where I was. And so I was like, okay, I've got to get back to writing. And this, and here was somebody telling me an expert telling me, here's the path to get back to writing. And it's going to take 18 months. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it, you know, and, and I buckled up and I didn't, we hired all these people and I hired Casey to kind of walk me through this and go through coaching calls every week talking about it. And we got like six months into this and I just started complaining, you know, I was like, we're losing money and I'm so frustrated and, and, and I'm stressed and, you know, and, and, you know, and I've got all these people and this person won't listen to me. And it, I was just kind of overwhelmed with the whole thing. And every week he would go, Jeff, you don't have to do this. And I would go, yeah, 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 I know. But really, like, I didn't know that. I, I felt like I have to do this. Like, I, I, this is where I got to go. I can't go back. I always have to go forward. This is my own <laughs> psychosis. But, um, like, it, it, like that's how I felt. I, I Going back would mean quitting. And all my entrepreneur friends would think that I didn't have what it took. And I felt shame about that. And so I kept going, you know, for six months I just kept doing this, you know, and there were months where we lost money and months where we made money. But for the most part, like it was a hard place to be because we were trying to build infrastructure, you know, and every middle class bone in my body was like, what are you doing, dummy? Like, just take the money and run, you know, like you, you don't have to build an enterprise. And it was just like, it was hard and, and frustrating because I could feel the time slipping away. And at the time, I was also writing a book. I was writing Real Artists Don't Starve. And I didn't have enough time to give that book the attention it required. And in retrospect, I go, well, this is dumb. Don't try to scale a business, you know, the year that you're writing a book. But this is how I work. Like, I want everything all at once right now. And finally, it came to a head. And I was talking to Casey. And, and one day, he said, man, you have to decide what you want. And, and I got really frustrated with him and I called him out. I said, you keep changing your advice. You say, do this and then do that. And I can't keep up with it. And he says, he says, I told you at the beginning, I will go with you wherever you want to go, but I can only guide you to where you decide that you want to go. He said, so my advice keeps changing because you keep changing what you want. He says, I want to remind you, you don't have to do this, but you need to decide. He says, why don't you take the next few days Talk to some friends, figure out what you actually want. And, and I was like, I know what I want. He goes, what is it? I go, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And uh, so um, I, uh, I reached out to some friends. Uh, one friend, Tim, who I mentioned already, said, who's somebody who you look up to who's kind of doing, doing what you want to do the way that you want to do it? Because on one hand, I had all these friends who were artists 
and they were very idealistic and and some of them were broke and I didn't want that and I, I like I I wanted to I wanted to have a business I realized I you know in some ways that I have a knack for it but I also knew that like I didn't want to be a CEO I didn't want to be man looking at reports all the time and thinking about management systems and outsourcing the, my art like I wanted to be writing and I wanted to have a reliable source of income. And I also wanted to be helping and teaching writers and continue to do that because it's a very meaningful part of what I do. But there's just sort of this all or nothing dichotomy that I had going on in my head and I just couldn't sort it out. I thought, you know, like one person who I really admire, who's kind of done both of this, he's got his art, but then he's also done like really smart things in business is Seth Godin. And Tim was like, well, just email him and ask him for some advice. And I was like, ah, I don't know. And he's like, just, you know, just try it. And so I was like, okay. Seth and I have, you know, emailed before. He's very generous uh, like that. And he did endorse my books and stuff. Yeah, so that, that was cool. So I, we had some context, but I'd never really talked to him other than interviewing him. And, and, and you know, I know that you know what that's like. And so I emailed him and I said, um, when do you scale a business up versus when do you scale it back? Because I noticed that you've done both of those things. You've built companies and you've sold them. And, you know, I mean, he kind of started his career selling his company Yo-Yo Dine to Yahoo for like $20 million. And he's done this a few times, kind of built these companies and sold them off. And I asked him one time on a podcast interview, like, why do you do both of these things? You write, you know, you're working on your art and then you're kind of building these companies and selling them. You know, you're building up these companies and, and doing this on the side um, like, why do you do both of these things? Why don't you just write or why don't you just, you know, uh, build the companies? And he says, well, how do you know that I'm not building the companies most of the time and doing the writing on the side? And, and that was his answer to my question. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Uh, all right. He's like a wizard where he answers your question with a question. Yeah. It's very Socratic. And so I emailed him. I said, I know you've done both these things. I'm stuck. Uh, I have this lifestyle business. Um, I'm not sure if I should scale it up and try to turn it into full-fledged enterprise or if I should, you know, scale it back and and just keep it this lean and scrappy thing. So, you know, what would you do? And he just replied and said, call me and gave me his cell phone number in the email. And I, I kind of freaked out <laughs> and I ran, I was, I was on our back porch and I ran inside and told my wife cause I was supposed to watch our kids um, cause she had something to do and. And I was like, what should I do? Seth Godin told me to call him. She's like, call him. And I was like, oh, okay. And I ran outside and called him. And we talked for about 20 minutes. And um, he said a few things that I'll never forget. One was he doesn't love the, the word uh, lifestyle business. He says, if you want to grow a real business, you know, you need to scale it to something like 50 to $100 million. And that takes infrastructure. That takes systems. He goes, I've done that multiple times. And, and I loved it. He goes, I loved being a CEO. It taught me how to be a better dad. It taught me how to sell. Uh, and I don't regret it for a minute. He said, but the reason that I've never done that with me is because I, I you know, if you're going to scale, you've got to, you've got to outsource all the things that you do well so that other people can do it. And you have this saleable entity. And he says, I can't outsource me, can't outsource my voice because it's me. And, uh, and and something would get lost. And I, I like I totally knew what he was talking about because that's what had happened when we had hired a writer to like help me write blog post. Is just it was just it just didn't work for me. Um, too much of an artist, I guess, in that respect. Like I wanted to own my voice. 
And and so he said, so you you know you basically have two paths. One, if you want to scale this thing to $100 million, you've got to go find 10 or 20 other people like you and become their publisher and acquire them and and become, you know, like a Udemy or something where you're publishing other people's courses and information products and paying them a royalty and then, you know, you're you're kind of managing all of that. You're going to have to be a CEO and it's going to be hard. And you just have to decide if that's something that you want to do. On the other hand, uh, if you don't want to do that, then you need to realize that it's not a business. It's more like a gig. And he has this sort of dichotomy between freelancer and entrepreneur. And uh, a freelancer, you know, if they if they work, they make money. If they stop working, they stop making money. And an entrepreneur builds something that works with 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 or without them. And he says it's a really good gig. And you could, you know, make uh, $1.2 million a year and, you know, pay your expenses, have one to two employees helping you, but keep it small and be content with that kind of limit the amount of money that you want to make and pay your taxes and then put half the money in the bank and live off of the other half. And he said that probably won't last forever. You know, it won't last to the day your daughter goes to college, but when that stops working, you'll find something else and you can use the margin that you have from that experience to focus on your craft as a writer and just, you know, be all in on that. Be content with with the sacrifices that you're making. And he says, there'll be times when you get paid what you're worth and there'll be times when you don't. And I said, well, what about when I don't get paid what I'm worth? What do I do then? He goes, well, that's why you put half your money in the bank. And I was like, okay, all right. And one of the things that he said in that conversation was this, which kind of persuaded me to, to move in one direction or the other. He goes, why'd you build a business? I said, uh, I wanted freedom. Like I, I, I wanted to own my schedule. I want to do the kind of work that I want to love, that I love. And, um, and he asked me what the goal of the business was or something. And I said, you know, our, our, our mission, or I said, I said, the goal is to, um, spread ideas that change culture. That's what I want to do. He goes, that's great. He goes, that's not a business goal. <laughs> he, he said, that's your life's mission. He says, never confuse your mission with the goal of a business because they won't always be 100% in alignment and you just need to be okay with that. And um, you've got your mission and and there'll be times when you get paid to do that and there'll be times when you don't. But the goal of a business has to be, you know, like, like it has to be something a little bit more concrete. And I was like, oh, well, we, you know, we teach online courses for writers and help them get published and paid. He's like, okay, like that makes sense. That's, that's, a, that's a business. You know, that's, that's the definition of a business. Yeah. He said, don't build a business cause you want freedom, build a business cause you want to run a business. And I just kind of sat with that and I said, okay, Seth, I'm, I'm going to do what you said to do. He's like, well, I gave you, you, I gave you two paths. You have to pick one. Let me know how it goes. And I said, okay. And I hung up the phone and was still thinking about it, you know, asking friends for feedback and the next day, I was like 8.30 in the morning, and I was making a late breakfast for our kids. We had a six-month-old and a four-year-old at the time. Um, they're older now. We still have them. Uh, <laughs> and and I, was make, I was making them pancakes. And like my, my first thought was this. I don't want to run a business. Like I, I just – I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in doing that. This is stressful for me. I'm not good at it. And I don't know that I want to get good at it. And the next thought that I had was looking at my kids, making them pancakes and, you know, the words of my business coach, Casey, reverberating in my mind. 
your life is going to suck for the next 18 months and you're just going to have to deal with that and you have to work harder than you've ever worked before. And um, I thought the next two years are significant years for my kids. You know, those are big years. Any parent knows that. And those are years that I'll never get back. And those are some of the best years. I mean, in a year from then, my son was going to be going to school, which is, you know, what he's doing now. I don't want to be working harder than I've ever worked before during those years. And, and then I thought, why would I spend two years acquiring a skill, i.e. being a CEO, that I never intend to use again. Like the whole point of acquiring the skill is so that I can stop doing it. Yeah. Like be a CEO, run the company, then hire somebody in to replace me. That was a whole idea. So it's not like I'm going to be a CEO and this is going to be my job for the next 10 years. It's like, I'm going to work really hard so that I don't have to do this anymore. And so the next day I called Casey and I said, okay, here's what I want to do. I I don't want to, I don't want to scale the business. I want to find a way to keep it lean and profitable uh, and, and, and I want, I want more freedom. And he said, that's great. I'm so glad you finally decided that. Cause I could just tell from the beginning that like, this is what you need to do. You need to write world-class books. Like that's your genius. And, um, I'm fine with whatever you decided to do, but I'm glad to hear you say that. Cause that's, that's what I see in you. And, and I, and I share this with a bunch of friends and they're like, oh yeah, like totally makes sense. Like I, I talked to a friend of mine who, lives in San Francisco and is real big in the startup community. And, and we just recently caught up when I was in San Francisco and he said, um, I told him this story and he goes, yeah, I remember you telling me that you like hired an operations director and you hired all these people and you're going to scale the business. And I was like, either this is going to like, like he's going to figure this out or this is like totally going to blow up in his face. Cause, Cause he's like, I just didn't, I didn't know if that was you. It was really interesting because because what was kind of preventing me from n- n- like like not doing this was was the fear of judgment or shame from others where like I was going to be perceived as settling. And I, I, when I told all my friends like here's what I'm going to do, they're like, "Yep, yeah, totally makes sense. Good for you." Well, and, and, and don't you think? Yeah. Don't you kind of after the fact when you hear that think, "Well, why didn't you say something when I was struggling?" <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I talked to Casey about this a little bit, and and I did talk to some of those friends and, and asked them that in so many words, and and they basically said, you know, we tried, <laughs> <laughs> and and Casey said, you cannot tell somebody what they don't want to hear. I mean, you, you you tell them, but they don't hear it. And he had told me multiple times, you don't have to do this. You can do you know such and such, and, and I just. My ego was like, no, it's got to be bigger. You know, I've got to be more legit. You know, I've got to be cooler or whatever. Yeah, so I made that decision, and then the next six months were hard in a different way where I had to let some people go. I had to cancel some contracts. Um, We didn't really lay anybody off. We had basically 12 people, and uh, eight or nine months later, we were down to three team members plus myself, which were two full-timers and then one uh, part-timer. And I realized, like, I thought, I don't want to manage people. And I realized, I actually do like working with people. I like leading people. Uh, but just managing a dozen people was hard on me. And and if you talk to anybody kind of in, you know, management philosophy, that really is the threshold of direct reports that you can have without going crazy. And at that point, like, you've actually got to keep scaling and get to, you know, 20, 30 employees and, and hire managers to run you know, they're, they're teams of five to eight people, you know, ideally. And then you've got just a handful of direct reports. 
And so it was just like I realized when I kind of scaled things down to four and then eventually three team members, it was fun again. And I liked it. And the irony in all this, Eric, is we're I know uh, it's been a year after that conversation with Seth, and it took about six months to kind of clean things up, cut expenses, just kind of scale things back. And it's it's not as lean as it could be, uh, but it's pretty easy, you know, pretty turnkey and seamless. And we're still figuring things out and and, and whatnot, but we've got a good team. And I get to spend most of my time leading the team, casting vision, and like working on the stuff that I want to work on, which is mostly creating content. So, you know, doing interviews like this, working on the next book, promoting the current book, you know, uh, writing the blog post, that that sort of thing. It was a good thing. And so so we're a year into this. And the ironic thing is I thought I'll make less money top line, but I'll make more money on the bottom line was sort of the goal. Um, cause I realized when Casey and I talked, he's like, if you do this and you do this right, like you will reach your goal of financial independence a lot faster. Cause you get to, you know, you just, you're maximizing profits, even if you're, even if you don't keep making millions of dollars a year. And the irony is, um, we're actually growing this year, both top line and bottom line. So we tri- tripled the bottom line and instead of like doubling and tripling the, the top line, I think we'll, we'll end the year about 20% ahead of where we ended last year. Well, that's Just, a nice side bonus. Yeah. In, in a sense, that's a nice side bonus for the fact that I think maybe a, 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 that factor came into play because of how focused you got and suddenly things got streamlined. So you didn't yeah. have as much to spend out. And so suddenly all this excess momentum you'd built up even before the couple of different transitions is still working in your favor. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. I just uh, I'm reading this book right now called uh, Profit First, which you know any business owner, entrepreneur who's you know hearing this and going, this this is what I need to do. Read that book because it like walks you through specifically how to do that. But he talks about when you start focusing on the bottom line instead of the top line, which most entrepreneurs are like. We did ten million dollars this year, and it's ten million dollars in sales, and they very likely made no profit. Uh, or very little. I have a friend who is in an apparel. He runs an apparel. He's, he's the director of marketing for this apparel company, uh, and it's a new uh, company that sells um, shoes and jewelry and some other things. And I mean, they're growing like crazy. You know, I think you know maybe do seven, eight million dollars this year, double it next year, and every year they post a negative profit margin. I mean, they're losing money. I mean, they're burning through cash. They've got investors. It's sort of that typical startup uh, story. And I just, we just don't hear that side of the story. And and once I made this decision, I started talking to friends of mine and friends of friends who were, you know, mostly running multi-million dollar businesses and a few eight figure businesses. And I realized the people that I thought were doing great, i.e. making a large profit, weren't. And some of them were cool with it. A lot of them were stressed and they were telling themselves a story like eventually I'll be able to sell this and and that's when I'll, I'll cash out. And I think that's cool. Like I don't disparage it, uh, but I realized I'm not going to sell this company. And I remember having a very um, deep heart to heart with my wife one night a year ago when I made this decision. I said, I'm not going to grow the business anymore. And she said, really? Because every year you're like, got to double, got to double. And every year we did double. And um I said, yeah, you know, we're not, we personally are not making any more money. So that there's that. 
I'm more stressed. There's that. I, and I'm not writing as much as I want to. So why would I do this? This isn't my life's purpose. This is just something that I'm doing that can fit into that mission. But right now it's sort of conflicting with it. And I said to her, I said, you know, we have this house that's, you know, more room than we need. And we have this money that is more than we thought we'd ever have. Like, what if this is it? And I keep saying, I want more. Like, what if this is all, and I mean, it got spiritual for me. I said, what if this is all God has decided to give us right now? And we're squandering it. I'm squandering it because of what? My ego? I want bigger? That's absurd. And and so what it did force me to do is better manage the resources that I already had. And you're right, as a result um, of that vigilance of focusing not on the top line, but on the bottom line, uh, both numbers grew. And and I think that's cool. But um, it really, for me, was because going back to that competition thing, I have to win. And, and I know, like, I, I, some you, you may be listening, it's going, no, no, you don't, Jeff. Well, yeah, I really do. Otherwise, I get depressed or I want to quit. <laughs> and if I'm playing... Uh, a game with a group of friends, like a board game, and and I don't understand the rules, or I realize I, I just pro- I can't win this, you know, not right now. I'll just I'll quit. Like there's a very juvenile part of me that goes, this is stupid, you know. I, I'm not going to play the next game because I don't understand the rules, or I just I'm just not good at it. And there's some things where I go, I'm going to figure out how to get good at it, but you know, you're not going to get good at it in one night. So I'm like, oh, forget this. I'll go do something else. And, and that's just like I know that about myself, and it's something that I'm working on. But for me, it was, okay, you don't have to play this game. You can you can change the category, you can change the game, and you can play a game that you can win. And for me, the game that I can win is uh, writing the stuff that I want to write about, helping the people that I want to help, and uh, making more money than I need uh, so that my family is well taken care of and and I have the freedom to enjoy it. And, and, you know, it's not the end of the story yet, but that's where, where I'm at and it's a good place and I'm, I'm happy with it. And, um, yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know, it's very interesting. I'll, I'll talk to particularly, you know, people who've got blogs and online businesses and, 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 I'll, and I'll hear the stupid things coming out of their mouths, which was like my stupidity two years ago. And I don't judge it cause I get it. And I go, you know, I, I hope that works out. But you don't you don't have to do this. And and I, I think if there's one moral to this story is there are multiple paths to success. And the hardest part of picking the right path is knowing what you really want and then also understanding that like whatever you want, it's going to cost you something. And for me, um, what it took to get the freedom that I thought I wanted, you know, like building this big business and doing all this stuff, I wasn't willing to pay that cost. It just wasn't worth it to me. And I realized I can actually have what I want, which is freedom and uh, more than enough money um, right now. I just have to make a few hard decisions. And I think that's, I think often those choices are available to us. Do the really, really hard thing that everybody says that you have to do that's going to cost you a lot of years of your life and stress and maybe even some of your values or find a different way to kind of scrappily get to the same place without it costing you all those things. This is honestly like almost like the appendix to real artists don't starve. 
in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know if you remember, but when we closed the last episode that you were on, we had talked all about the different myths. And then we kind of said, and now there is all this other stuff that you can do in terms of building your business, building scaffolding, building a portfolio income off your art. But there's lots of other people out there who can teach you about that. And so we'll link that up in the show notes and everything like that. But I just felt like that was kind of a a hanging thread and also not necessarily the truth as far as what the next step was. So I really appreciate you sharing your story and your living through this lesson that you have learned in terms of deciding to play the right game so you can still win. Yeah, you know, Ian Cron told me this story one time. He's a friend of mine, has a great podcast on um, different types of the Enneagram. He's a priest, a psychotherapist, great writer and a good friend. Have you had him on the show? I imagine you have. Yeah, just a couple weeks ago. Cool. Yeah, so he said this to me, and we were sort of talking about this. And really what we're talking about is just knowing yourself. And it's hard. It, It takes time to know who I really am, what am I really good at, what do I really want. He told me this story about running this marathon one time. And he was and he was trying to kind of keep up with this guy um, who was running next to him who was just killing him. And he just he just kept running and he's just he's dying, you know, like he's at mile 20 or something and he just can't keep up with this person he's running next to. He's got to beat him, got to beat him. Right. And and the guy who was clearly in better shape and more conditioned for the marathon than Ian was turns to him and he says, run your own race. And Ian shared this with me as I was sort of talking about these things. And I mean, that's it. You know, if you've ever run a marathon, there's a bajillion people there and they're all running their own races. They've got different goals, different reasons for being there. And it's a hard thing when you're standing in a crowd of people who are seemingly all racing towards the finish line. But what we forget is they're all there for different reasons and they all got there different ways uh, and they all have different goals. And so I'm running my own race now and and I'm happy with it. The idea of real artists don't starve is you don't have to starve to do what you love, but you don't have to necessarily do it the way that everybody else does it. And so, you know, there are lots of ways to get to success. You better know what race you're running so that you choose the right strategies, the right methods, the right habits that are going to get there so that when you cross the finish line, like in my opinion, when I cross the finish line, like I want my family there to greet me. Uh, you know, I want the relationships uh, that are part of my life right now, family, friends, community, et cetera. Like I don't want to burn all those bridges and get to the finish line alone. And so you've got to run your own race and you've got to run it on your own terms. That does not mean that you're choosing between success and failure. Success looks different to all of us and there are multiple ways for most of us to get to the same place. So let's talk a little bit about what your race looks like these days, uh, specifically with you've got tribe riders coming up again in October where you're opening that back up. And I'll put a link to the show notes, uh, link to that in the show notes. But also you've got something that I'm super excited to finally be attending, which is tribe conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're going to be in, if you can be or are going to be in the Nashville area the weekend of September 15th, 16th, 17th. Join Jeff, but also join me, by the way, uh, at Jeff's Tribe Conference. And you can find out more about that at beyondthetodolist.com slash tribe. Jeff, how many speakers? you got a ton of speakers, a lot of which have been on this show before, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I think we have over a dozen, something like 15, 16 speakers. We've got at least 12 
keynotes, uh, which for us are, are pretty short. They're about 30 minutes, and then every uh, talk has a practical exercise or application at the end. And so, um, yeah, it's I'm always honored to have people that I really admire come and be a part of this. John Acuff, uh, Dan Miller, Crystal Payne from Money Saving Mom, uh, a lot of a lot of people are like, why did you say yes to this? I mean, it's really, really is an honor. It's a lot of fun. And it's a conference that we host every year. So if not this year, you know, check it out next year. It's always uh, whatever that is, that second ish, um, weekend of September around the 15th. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. What I like about it is it's, you know, a couple hundred to 300 people from our community all coming together for different reasons, running different races, uh, but they all want to, they all want this, this thing, a tribe, an audience. And a lot of them are writers, communicators, people who have a message that they want to share with the world. And it's been just a really fun experience. I would say the biggest breakthroughs happen as a result of not necessarily what's said on stage, although that's important, but what happens at each table, we have round tables and there's lots of talk time and discussion time between attendees. And almost always the biggest breakthroughs happen uh, as a result of, uh, attendees connecting with each other and helping one another get stuck. And as you know, somebody who's been to um, a fair number of events, as I know you have, mm-hmm. I know th- I know that you get that. Like that's where the really good stuff happens is with the other people who are there for the same reasons you're there, and you realize, oh, like we can help each other. And so it's fun. I think it's really fun to be that excuse for people to come together. Tribe writers are our course for writers uh, does that. Um, Tribe conference does that. I like that. I didn't want to lose that when I was making some of these decisions. For me personally, I just didn't want to have something that was so big and so unwieldy that I that it wasn't fun for me to to do anymore. And so, Tribe Conference is something that I um, really treasure and um, think we'll we'll continue to do for a while. And I'm continuing to look for new ways that we can bring people together to make those kinds of connections. And so. The race that I'm running now is I'm continuing to write books about ideas that I believe in or things that I'm curious about, and I want to continue to be an excuse for writers and creatives to come together and to get the help that they need. Awesome. Well, I'm glad to be seeing you in a couple of weeks to be part of that experience finally. This is what, yeah. third or fourth year now? This is the third year. Mm-hmm. Third year. So yeah, first two years, I was just like, oh, I got to get down there. Got to get down there. Finally, I was just yeah. like, No. It's the tickets are available. Book the tickets now. Plan plan around it later. <laughs> yeah, so, good. I'm, gl- I'm glad you did it. So, Jeff, thank you so much for for being so transparent and sharing this part of your story. I really think that people who've listened to or read the book, for that matter, are going to get another added dimension that's going to propel them forward and and hopefully, honestly, in some ways, avoid them going down a different path in the wrong race. So, yeah, I'm happy to talk about it. It's really important. People don't talk about this. If this speaks to you, the listener, I would encourage you to check out two books. One, A Hidden Wholeness by Parker Palmer, which will make you do the deep soul work that you need to do to figure out who you really are and where you may be disintegrated in your life. Uh, And then two, Profit First, a very helpful uh, book on how, how to focus on uh, you know, the things that matter most in a business, which is making a profit so that you can keep running the business. If you have any questions about this or if this spoke to you in any way or you just need more help, 
uh, feel free to email me. I'd love to hear. This is something that I haven't talked a lot about yet, but I think is really important because I, I, on social media and in the blogosphere, we're hearing a lot of people talk about bigger, 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 and talk about top line numbers. And nobody is talking about the dark shadowy part about this so much. And I think it needs to be talked about as well. And I promise you that most of the people that you think are doing amazing and have these amazing lives or are rolling in the dough, Scrooge McDuck style, are not. I mean, it's a facade. And so really understanding the cost before you chase something, I think is super important. So if you want to email me at jeff at goinswriter.com, I'd be happy to keep talking to you about it. Awesome. Jeff, uh, and I'll email you there too, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, thank you so much for being back on the show. And virtually, I'm handing you your your medal for hitting five times appearances award. Yeah. Number <laughs> Gotta one, win. Jeff Goins. <laughs> you're welcome. Congratulations. And uh, Jeff, uh, so you'll have to come on to, to maintain this award because, again, Michael Hyatt will be on the show in about a week or two All to right, tie you for fifth. But still <laughs> – I'll be back in two weeks. All right. <laughs> we'll record like a little impromptu at the conference, and then I'll just put that out there. And then, <laughs> thanks, Jeff, thanks Jeff, for doing this. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome, Jeff. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure, Eric. Um, thanks for. Gosh, how long have you done this? How many years? It's been five Wait. years now. That's incredible. Um, five thanks. Years. Thanks for upping the game for what you know we should expect from podcasts and sharing your art. I appreciate it. I know I'm not the only one. Thank you. I don't know about you, but I know it did me some good to hear Jeff tell this story. It really helped me to think about what it is that I really want to be successful in. What race do I really want to be running and winning? Because if I haven't picked the right race, then I'm already spinning cycles and energy on something that's not necessarily the right thing. And I'm going down the wrong path. And I'm probably going to have to backtrack or find a shortcut over to that right path. And I'll tell you right now, I echo Jeff's personal experience with this. There's been a number of times where I've had to say, whoa, whoa, hold up. Wait a minute. Go back. What's really the priority here? And call things into question in terms of my own decision making. So I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation. Jeff gave you his contact information. Just hit him up. Let him know. And by the way, again, if you are going to be in the Nashville area or can be, I would love to see you at Tribe Conference. I know Jeff would, too. There's going to be a number of other speakers there that have been guests on this show before. John Acuff, Crystal Payne, Dan Miller, Jeff Goins himself, and more. Get more information over at beyondthetodolist.com slash tribe. And I hope to see you there. Also, make sure to check out Formstack. And thank them for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. You can take advantage of their free trial and promo code for 25% off your first three months by going to formstack.com slash beyond. I know this story in this podcast hit home for me, and I'm guessing I'm not the only one. If you enjoyed this episode, please do me a favor and the person that you know should hear this a favor by sending this episode to them and letting them know about this story that Jeff tells. And with that, I'll say thank you for listening and that I will see you next episode.
Beyond the To-Do List is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.